0: Hi, I'm Father Gregory Pine. And I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our prayer lives by learning from the church's greatest saints and teachers. Spiritual reading can be challenging for many Catholics, so this podcast is here to help. Each season, we'll read through a great work, unpack its timeless wisdom, and encourage you with practical tips for the pursuit of holiness. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we are reading Ascension's edition of Introduction to the Devout Life by St. Francis de Sales. To get your copy of the book and download the reading plan for this season, visit ascensionpress.com slash Classics, or text INTRO to 33777. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app. Today is day 17. We'll be reading part three, Certain Counsels on the Practices of the Virtues, chapters six and seven, which you can find on pages 207 to 215 in the Ascension edition of the book. Before we get into the reading, a quick look at what we're going to cover today. So we're going to pick up with humility. Uh, We've been talking about humility for the past two episodes now. And St. Francis de Sales is going to mix in a little bit of a discussion on abjection, which is a terrifying word and a kind of terrifying reality. But he's going to help us to think about it well, specifically help us to think about how it's part of the story of our growth in humility and our growth in the life of faith, the life of prayer. And then he's going to mix in a little bit of a discussion about what it means to kind of care about your good name and about your reputation and how much you ought to yeah, work to make sure that you retain your good name and good reputation. And so in this, we, we get a better understanding or a clear understanding of how humility is so very important for our devout lives. And uh, yeah, like, like we've already mentioned now a couple of times, it's a hard teaching uh, and it, it takes its toll on our humanity, but we're going to seek to kind of sift through some insights which will make the truth of this teaching a bit more radiant. So that way, you know, we can, we can welcome it in our minds and have it sift down into our hearts. So with that, let's say a prayer and start in. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Grant us grace, O merciful God to desire ardently all that is pleasing to thee, to examine it prudently, to acknowledge it truthfully, and to accomplish it perfectly. For the praise and glory of thy name, amen. Chapter 6, That Humility Makes Us Love Our Own Abjection I pass on still further, O Philothea, and tell you that in all and through all things you should love your own objection. But you will ask me, what does it mean to love one's own objection? In Latin, objection means humility, and humility means objection, so that when the Blessed Virgin Mary, in her sacred canticle, says that she shall be called blessed by all generations because our Lord had regarded the humility of his handmaiden, Luke 1.48, what she meant is that our Lord had graciously looked down upon her objection, meekness, and lowliness, deigning to heap his graces and favors upon her. Nonetheless, there is a difference between the virtue of humility and objection, for objection represents the lowliness, baseness, and vileness that are in us without our being aware of it, whereas the virtue of humility represents true knowledge and voluntary acknowledgement of our objection. Now, the height of this humility involves not only being willing to acknowledge our objection, but in loving and delighting in it, doing so not out of a lack of spirit and nobility, but for the sake of the greater exaltation of the divine majesty, and having a higher estimation of our neighbor than of ourselves. This is what I exhort you to take up and make your own. And in order for you to understand me more fully, I tell you that among the evils that we suffer, some are abject and others honorable. Many accommodate themselves to those that are honorable, but barely anyone is willing to accommodate himself to those that are abject, A devout old hermit stands at his hermitage ragged and exposed to the cold and everyone honors his tattered robe and feels compassion for his endurance however if a poor tradesman a poor gentleman or a poor lady is in the same state the world despises and scoffs at them for it thus you see how their poverty is abject a religious receives a sharp reproof from his superior or a child from his father with meekness And everyone calls this an act of mortification, obedience, and wisdom. But if a gentleman or lady were to receive a similar rebuke from someone in the same spirit, then, even if it were received for the love of God, such a deed will be called cowardice and weakness of spirit. Here is another abject evil. One man has a cancer in his arm, while another has it upon his face. The first only has the disease, while the other, together with the disease, has received contempt, disdain, and abjection. Therefore, I say that we must not only love the evil, which we do through the virtue of patience, but also must embrace the objection that comes with it, which is done through the virtue of humility. There are, moreover, virtues that are abject and virtues that are honorable. Patience, meekness, simplicity, and even humility itself are virtues that worldly people consider contemptible and abject, whereas, by contrast, they hold prudence, courage, and liberality in great esteem. Indeed, for one and the same virtue, some deeds are despised and others honored. For example, the giving of alms and forgiving injuries done to us are both acts of charity, yet the first is honored by all, while the latter is despised in the eyes of the world. A young lady or gentleman who refuses to join in the disordered activity of dissolute company, or to talk, play, dance, drink, or dress like everyone else, will be taunted and reproved by the others and his or her modesty will be called sanctimodious affectation. To love this is to love our objection. Consider another example of objection. We decide to go visit the sick. If I am sent to see the most wretched, this will be an abject act to the eyes of the world, for which reason I will love it. If I am sent to people of a better class, it is an abject act spiritually, for there is less virtue and merit in it, but I can also love this objection. If we fall in the middle of the street, in addition to the fall, we also experience shame as well. We must love this objection. There are even faults which have no other evil in them except for the objection involved, and humility does not require us to deliberately perform such deeds, but it does require that we should not allow our souls to be bothered when we have committed them. Thus, we may find ourselves guilty of certain foolish deeds, incivilities, and inadvertent acts which we should avoid for the sake of civility and discretion. In such cases, we should put up with the objection they bring us and accept it willingly for the sake of practicing holy humility. But I will go further still. If I have allowed myself to be stirred up by anger, lewdness, or passion, and have spoken any unbecoming words that offended God and my neighbor, I will earnestly repent and be heartily sorry for the offense, striving to make the best reparation I can. However, I will not fail to accept the objection and contempt that it has brought upon me as well, and even if the one be separated from the other, I would heartily cast away the sin and humbly retain the objection. But although we love the objection that follows the evil, nonetheless we must not neglect to redress by fitting and lawful means the evil that caused it, especially when the evil is significant. For example, should I have some ugly growth upon my face, I will strive to have it cured but not with the intention to get rid of the objection I receive by it. If I am guilty of some fault that is given no one offense, I will make no apology for it, for although it is a fault, it is not one which affects others. Therefore, I could only make excuses in order to get rid of the objection I feel, and this would be contrary to humility. However, if through inadvertence or through foolishness I happen to offend or scandalize anyone, I will repair the offense by means of some true excuse, because the fault affects others and charity obliges me to remedy it. Besides, charity even sometimes requires that we remove the objection for the good of our neighbor, for whom our reputation is an important matter. However, in such a case, although we remove the objection from before our neighbor's eyes in order to prevent scandal, nonetheless we must carefully retain it in our own heart for our own edification. However, Philothea, so that you might know which are the best objections, let me plainly and directly state that those that profit our souls and are most acceptable to God are those which befall us by accident or through the events of our own particular vocation and condition of life. For we do not choose them ourselves, but instead have received them from the hand of God, whose choice is always better than our own. However, were we to choose any, the greatest are the best in other words, those which are most contrary to our inclinations, so long as they are conformed to our vocation. For, let us say it once and for all, our own choice and election spoil or lessen almost all of our virtues. Oh, who would give us the grace to be able to say with the great king, quote, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness, end quote. Psalm 84 10. My dear Philothea, the only one who can do this is he who, to lift us up on high, lived and died in such a way as to be the reproach of men and the outcast of the people. Many of these things that I have said to you may seem difficult in theory, but trust me, they will be sweeter than sugar or honey when you put them into practice. Chapter 7. How to retain our good name while also practicing humility. Praise, honor, and glory are not given to men merely for having a virtue, but rather for excellence in virtue. For by praise we strive to persuade others to hold in esteem the excellence of those whom we praise. Through honor, we testify that we ourselves esteem them. And glory, in my opinion, is nothing other than a kind of radiance of reputation, shining forth from as many praises and honors as are found together in such a person. Thus, honors and praises are like precious stones— and when they are gathered together in one and the same crown they form the great jewel of glory now given that humility does not permit us to have any opinion of our own excellence or to think that we deserve to be preferred before others it consequently cannot permit us to hunt after praise honor or glory which are only owed to excellence however she does not allow us to heed the counsel of the wise man who admonishes us to take care of a good name ecclesiasticus 41.15, 41.15, Dewey Reams version. For we receive a good name, not for great excellence, but only for ordinary honesty and integrity of life, which humility does not prevent us from acknowledging it in ourselves, nor consequently from desiring that we have such a reputation. Yes, humility would despise a good name if charity were to require it. However, because such a reputation is one of the foundations of human society, and without it we would not only be unprofitable in public but even harmful given the scandals that would thus be caused, charity requires, and humility consents, that we should desire it and carefully preserve it. Moreover, just as the leaves of trees by themselves are of little value though they are nonetheless very useful, not only to beautify the tree but also to preserve its fruits while they are still tender. So too, a good reputation, which of itself is not something greatly desirable, is nonetheless of great use, not only as an ornamentation for our life, but also for the preservation of our special virtues, especially those that are still weak and tender. The obligation to preserve our reputation and to truly be what people think us to be presses a generous spirit forward with a strong and gentle power. Let us preserve our virtues, my dear Philothea, for they are acceptable to God, the supreme object of all our deeds. However, just as they who desire to preserve fruits are not content to candy them with sugar, but also put them in jars fit for storing them, so too, although the love of God is the principal source of preservation for our virtues, nonetheless, we may further use our good name as is fitting and useful. However, we must not be over-eager, exact, and overly concerned about preserving our good name. People who are overly sensitive about this are like men who go to the doctor for every small ailment, believing that they are working to preserve their health when, in fact, they are destroying it altogether. Those who strive with such great delicacy to maintain their reputation entirely lose it, for such oversensitivity leads them to become fussy, quarrelsome, unbearable, and thus provoke the malice of detractors. Generally speaking, to overlook and disregard attack and calumny is a far more effective remedy than resentment, contention, and revenge. By disregarding such claims, one will cause them to vanish, whereas if we allow ourselves to be angry about them, we seem to acknowledge them. As crocodiles hurt only those who fear them, detraction only hurts those who allow themselves to be troubled by it. Excessive fear over losing our good name reveals that we are not quite so sure that it has a solid foundation, namely the truth of a good life. Towns with wooden bridges over great rivers fear that they will be carried away by every flood, but those with bridges of stone care only about the most extraordinary torrents. So too, men and women with souls solidly grounded in Christian virtue disregard the flowing waters of malicious tongues. However, they who feel that they are weak in character are disturbed by every idle story. In short, Philothea, he who is overly anxious to have a good name with everybody will be thought well of by nobody. And indeed, he who seeks honor from those whose vices make them truly ungodly and dishonorable himself deserves to lose honor. Reputation is nothing more than a sign pointing out the true dwelling place of virtue. Therefore, what must be preferred in all and through all things is virtue. Thus, if anyone should call you a hypocrite because you strive to live the life of devotion or a coward because you have pardoned some injury, laugh at all such words. For besides the fact that such judgments are made by weak and foolish men, we must not forsake or turn aside from the way of virtue, even if we were to lose our reputation, because we must prefer the fruit to the leaves, in other words, interior and spiritual graces to all exterior advantages." We are permitted to be careful concerning our reputation, but not to idolize it. And just as we should not be offensive in the opinion of the good, so too we should take no care for satisfying that of the wicked. The beard adorns a man's face, and hair adorns a woman's head. If we were to pluck out the very roots of a beard from one's chin, or the hair from one's head, they may not grow any longer. However, if we trim it, indeed, if we crop it close to the skin, it will soon grow back thicker still. So too, even though our reputation might be cut by the tongue of detractors, perhaps even close to the bone, by this, quote, sharp razor, as David says, Psalm two, we must not allow ourselves to be anxious, for it will grow again, not only as beautifully as before, but much more firm and durable as well. However, if our vices, negligence, and evil life destroy our reputation, it will perhaps never return, for it will thereby be pulled up by the root But the root of a good name is virtue and honesty, and so long as they remain in us, they may always recover the honor owed to them. We must give up any conversation, idle habit, foolish attachment, or any improper company which injure our reputation, for our good name is of more value than all such idle gratifications. However, if our exercise of piety, advancement in devotion, and progress toward our eternal good lead men to grumble, murmur, and speak evil of us— then let us leave them to bark like dogs at the moon. Indeed, even if they can cast some aspersion on our good name and thereby cut and shave the hair and beard of our reputation, it will soon again spring up, and the razor of detraction will be as profitable to our honor as the pruning knife is to the vine, making it bear fruit of greater size and quantity. Let us constantly fix our eyes on Jesus Christ crucified and march on in his service with confidence and simplicity, along with wisdom and discretion. He will be the protector of our reputation, and should he allow it to be taken from us, this will be either to restore it with advantage or to make us profit in holy humility, one ounce of which is superior to ten thousand pounds of honor. Are we blamed unjustly? Let us calmly and peacefully set the truth against the calumny. Does the calumny continue? Let us also continue to humble ourselves, thus placing our reputation, together with our soul, into the hands of God. No secure a place can be found. Let us serve God, quote, in ill repute and good repute, end quote, 2 Corinthians 6, 8, following the example of St. Paul, so that we may be able to say with David, quote, for it is for your sake that I have borne reproach, that shame has covered my face, end quote, Psalm 69, 7. However, I do make exception for certain crimes which are so hard and infamous that no man ought to suffer false accusations of them if he can justly acquit himself. So too for the cases of certain people whose good name is important for the edification of many. In such cases, as various theologians hold, we must quietly seek reparation for the wrong suffered. In this section, we see a few key insights emerge as uh, St. Francis de Sales continues to describe humility and then adds in this discussion of abjection. So perhaps you've read spiritual classics before. Uh, maybe you're more accustomed to things written in the 21st century, like Jacques Philippe perhaps. And, um, when we hear things about objection and when humility sounds kind of so terrible as it, as it sometimes sounds in these chapters, uh, it can, it can kind of cause in us an allergic reaction. We find it very brutal. We find it very hard on our humanity um and so we're like yeah maybe this isn't for me but i think it's actually significant that there isn't too much of this in the introduction to the devout life it doesn't mean that in the church's tradition there's no point or there's no place for a little kind of hard as nails spiritual encouragement but i think that you know the the effect that it produces in us is you know it's just an effect that we have to be honest about so when we when we approach these texts okay there are going to be things that we're going to find hard to swallow uh, but that, that's, that being the case, we still have to engage with what's on offer. We still have to engage with the teaching itself because it remains of enduring worth. So, uh, Father Jacob Bertrand, as we turn then to this description of abjection, um, you know, like the, the state of affairs and then humility, the virtue whereby we process that state of affairs, what do you think are some ways that we as a 21st century audience can benefit from this 17th century description?
1: Yeah, because we're talking about objection and as you said, like what did you say? Something about nails, hard as nails. Is that what you said? <laughs> <laughs> uh yep. maybe I'll i t- I'll tell that line for a second. That I th- I think, and I'll pepper it back, so bear with me, but I'm gonna say what I think first. Um, that as twenty first right century Catholics, um and people, we've become a little soft. We've be- we've we've uh maybe Indulged in the comforts of of our lives in the world a little bit too much, such that when we're, we're challenged, we recoil too quickly from the challenge that that lies before us. And now with everything, and as we've been talking about the virtues with everything, the virtue is always the mean, right? It's always the middle. It's always the 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 straight road between either excess or or lack of so a quick example like fortitude the virtue of courage right we don't want to be brash and and not think about what we're doing and just run into danger just because there's like danger in front of us but we also don't want to be unable to react in the face of danger we want to do the the courageous the, the thing that is the virtue so too with you know humility we don't want to fall into this sort of um state of like just beating ourselves up for the sake of beating ourselves up or this state of presumption where we think we're great and God's gonna you know everything's perfect and I'm good and I don't need God so um yeah but we we, I think we having a sort of like I don't know a bit of encouragement about uh, the the difficulty that lies before us and rooting out rooting out sin and temptation and pursuing goodness that the virtue of humility provides is is a good place to start. Again, not as a way to beat ourselves up or as a way to sort of say, I don't need this, but a recognition of the reality. We've talked about this the last couple episodes, the reality of, of what life is, but also what's on offer in, in, in God. So I think, that's, I think that's good. I think we could use a little sort of toughening up um, in, in the state of affairs. So good on St. Francis. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, when we think about the
0: virtues and we've talked about this before, it's helpful to think about them as a kind of medicine or to think about them as a kind of response to vice. So we're tempted in certain ways and sometimes we commit certain sins. And then when those sins go unchecked, they become a settled state, a disposition or a habit, which we call vice. And so humility is the antidotes, the medicine to pride. And basically what pride is, is when we think too fondly about ourselves or, when we like reach for an excellence which is actually beyond our grasp right something that that isn't ours uh, or it's not ours for this time for this place it's not ours given the circumstances right but we deny the fact of the matter and we we head off for it we head off in pursuit of it even though it leads to destruction and so what what saint francis sales keeps returning to and he does so with a particular emphasis in this chapter is that what you're made for is God, which is the greatest imaginable good, all right? So you're not made for lowly things, for um, unimportant things. You're made for the the grandest, uh, the most important imaginable. But sometimes we can kind of get tripped up by secondary goods because, like we've said before, we can focus on them in a way that distracts us from the one thing necessary. And so it's strange because we would think humility, it's like, you know, you keep your eyes down, you um you know like you don't raise your voice you never assert yourself no 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 those are all false characterizations basically the point of humility is to look fixedly at God and then to recognize that the gaze that we cast towards secondary goods is a passing gaze we can't become fixed on them we can't become what would one say um kind of like emerged or immersed in them or lost in them uh, because if we if we try to do that or if we are tempted to do that then we we'll end up or we're going to end up. Uh, kind of like forfeiting the one thing necessary. So um, yeah, when, when St. Saint, Saint Francis de Sales then talks about objection, he thinks about it as a kind of opportunity. It's an opportunity to recognize what's good and then what's less good. And then to have that become an occasion whereby we, we turn back to the Lord. So yeah, maybe, maybe your thoughts on recovering this Godward gaze through humility and the cure for pride.
1: Yeah, we're, we're always going to, as human beings, we're always going to worship something. Um, I like to think of, of our worshiping things or people or God even as, um, as a way of like clinging to something. Like we're always going to worship. We're always going to cling to something. And we're made to worship and cling to one thing, God, right? And there are other, there are other goods um, that are secondary goods, but goods nonetheless that we are also made for. You know, like one of the highest goods. Like we can think of like family life. Or like for Father Gregory and myself, like our religious vocation, these sort of things. Like those are goods and they ought to be pursued, but they're not to be worshiped. You know they're not to be idols. Only God is to be worshipped, and it. There, so it's sort of a, a question here of like, what is our idol? What do we cling to? What do we? What is our source of comfort? What is? Um, what is like as Father Gregory was saying, like what is our gaze fixed at in our life? What do, what do we idolize? Um, the the point of the devout life, and this is why Saint Francis de Sales starts off with patience and humility, and why we've been talking about humility as leading leading into the virtues, is that. That grace and God works, and God's grace works in our lives, so as to um, properly order our gaze, what we're looking at, what we're fixing, what we're clinging to, what we're worshiping, um, because everything else only makes sense when 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 we're first and foremost fixed on on God. Think about it in this way: you know, it, we're we're only able to love well when we love God well, and when we're loved by, when we allow God to love us well. So like we're we're better lovers. As as in in proportion to the in proportion to how we let God love us, um, so that's a really I think important thing, and and it begins in humility because it, the humility is as we've been talking about these last couple episodes is that virtue that way of living that lets us see like okay this is who God is this is who I am um, and this is you know what I'm called to be and to do and 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 how I'm called to face life and and all its complexities. Um, so it kind of a question of like, what do you idolize? What do you cling to? What do you worship? And that's a good question to ask ourselves, not just like as I'm saying it, but you know, throughout our lives in our pursuit of God and the devout life and friendship with him.
0: And in these chapters, St. Francis describes a couple of situations which to us sound awful, like to be falsely accused <clears throat> or to suffer, you know, like what he calls ignominy. So like great shame in the eyes of others in a way that, others don't have a way of interpreting generously or they don't have a way of interpreting so that it redounds to our glory. So it's just, for us, it just feels bad. It just feels bad. And I think that in those moments we're tempted to say like, no, 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 no. like let me clear this up. No, no, no. Let me justify myself. Or, you know, like we feel very strongly attached to our rights or we feel very strongly attached to, um, you know, claims of fairness or of justice, which are, you know, like fine enough things. But I think what he's saying in this chapter is that they're secondary. Because God wouldn't let those things happen unless he could make good use of them. St. Augustine always repeats that God doesn't allow any, you know, like evil to come our way unless he can bring about through it or from it some good. And so I think that, you know, to be a Christian doesn't mean that you're a victim. It doesn't mean that you're just a doormat and that other people can walk all over you. Uh, So we need to defend certain rights and we should defend the unborn and we should defend the aged and we should work so that we can build up a just society. But also bad things are going to happen. All right. And the ultimate horizon is heaven. And the like, the friendship with God, which spills over the bounds of heaven into our present existence, and gives us a reason to strive for that beyond, to strive for that hereafter. So I think that um, that 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 kind of reorients the way in which we think about present trials or present struggles. It's not so much for us to kind of make sure that everyone understands what's going on at every moment. It's for us, like again, uh, we've we've said this now a few times. It's for us to look to the Lord for the explanation. It's it's for us to look to the Lord so that we can live our lives well, and then. Understand our lives or interpret our lives well. Both end. All right, we're coming near the end. So, uh, a final thought, one last encouragement.
1: Yeah, it's surprising to me—not surprising, but when I've read Saint Francis, that this is where he starts in with our sort of um, uh, sort of self-defense of our name that we want to be thought of uh, in in a good light. And fine, that's great. We should we should desire that. You know, we should desire to be thought of in a, in a good way because of what we do and who we are. But ultimately, we should desire to, to pursue and to live in the reality of how our Lord knows and thinks of us and take consolation in the fact that despite what the world thinks, and sometimes it can, you know, they might think poorly or, or incorrectly of us, that our Lord loves us. He loves you very much. Uh, and, and that doesn't change. And the, that's a great confidence and consolation. So we should trust that.
0: Boom. All right, folks, uh, that's it for today. So thanks so much for for tuning in. Uh, Be sure to follow wherever you listen to your podcast to subscribe to the podcast, so that way you get updates as episodes come out. Uh, To download the reading plan and to support the production of this podcast, please visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics. And then if you'd like to hear some of our conversations on other subjects, uh, follow up with us and three of our brother priests on the podcast, God's Planning. There you'll find weekly episodes on a variety of Catholic themes with occasional guests, scriptural meditations, and then special series. And you can find God Splending with any podcast app on YouTube and at godsplending.org. So know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us, and we'll catch you next time on Catholic Classics.